SBS Radio. I'm Kerry Lee Harding and thanks for your company on this Monday afternoon. Well, the Special Broadcasting Service is committing to enhancing the stories of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders through its Elevate Reconciliation Action Plan. The document seeks to create a more inclusive workplace and further increase the visibility and presence of First Nations perspectives across all SBS platforms. Peggy Giannopoulos reports for SBS News. My brother has many faces. SBS is launching its Elevate Reconciliation Action Plan for 2022 through to 2026. Some yellow and olive. That music was from a dance performance of the Buja Buja Butterfly Dancers at the Reconciliation Action Plan launch. Yet he is my brother. It's SBS's fifth rap and will accelerate SBS's reconciliation journey through a range of activities and initiatives which will further increase the visibility and presence of First Nations perspectives across SBS platforms and in multiple languages every day. Julie Nimmo and David Kwa are the SBS RAP Steering Committee co-chairs. Miss Nimmo is also a producer, director and writer on NITV's Living Black and says it's a landmark moment for SBS. We know that NITV holds a vitally important position in Australia's media landscape as a remarkable force for reconciliation and an essential service for First Nations communities. SBS is investing more than ever before in the development of NITV's content and accelerating its audience reach. Through this wrap, SBS will leverage its resources, capacity and reach in support of First Nations entrepreneurs, experts, industry professionals and creative talent. We will continue to contribute to the growth and sustainability of a vibrant Indigenous media sector. SBS is home to Australia's only national Indigenous TV channel, with its impact reaching across all ages. Among a few of its many achievements, NITV created and produced Australia's first Indigenous animated children's award-winning television series, Little Jay and Big Cuz, helping preschool-aged children transition to primary school and providing a vital connection to culture and country. A key requirement of an Elevate Wrap is a transformation project. SBS's Reconciliation Action Plan will seek to further embed Indigenous news and perspectives as part of the currently provided audio and digital services in more than 60 languages through SBS's TV news coverage in English, Arabic and Mandarin and through the landmark programming commissioned to amplify national issues from an Indigenous lens. Co-chair David Hua and head of SBS's audio and language content says the RAP will also seek to create a more inclusive workplace. SBS's ability to tell stories, share truths and champion distinct voices in a multitude of languages and ways gives us a unique responsibility to connect the newest Australians with the custodians of the oldest living culture on earth. Through RAP5, we will embed Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander stories, peoples and perspectives across all SBS platforms, ensuring we acknowledge truths, share knowledges, celebrate cultures and elevate Indigenous authorship and languages. 
Tanya Denning-Orman is the Director of Indigenous Content at SBS and says it's a continuation of the broadcaster's mission to advocate for diversity over the decades. It was back in the 80s when SBS first put black journalists on screen, introducing, including Auntie Rhoda, who we're so proud to have as our inaugural elder in resident at SBS. Yes. (laughs) Beautiful Rhoda. Indigenous Current Affairs Program, Living Black, is still going strong after more than two decades. Documentaries like First Australians, First Contact, and later this year, The Australian Wars, are more than TV shows. They challenge perceptions by exploring national issues with a distinctive Indigenous perspective. And SBS is subtitling them into multiple languages for more Australians to experience. Karen Mundine is the Chief Executive Officer of Reconciliation Australia and says Elevate RAP organisations are committed to driving systemic change at scale. Having an Elevate RAP means taking on a greater responsibility. Elevate partners set standards for ongoing excellence and chart courses for transformation. And they open themselves to greater accountability of their RAP activities and sharper scrutiny by community. SBS Managing Director James Taylor says the RAP will continue to build a bridge between the newest and oldest Australians. There's a growing desire amongst Australia's diverse communities to learn more and to connect more with First Nations peoples. Every day at SBS we witness the wonderful impact of the connection that this creates and we have an exciting opportunity ahead to invest further in bringing communities together in a deliberate, innovative and unprecedented way. Peggy Giacomelos, SBS News. And that story by Hannah Kwan for SBS News. You're listening to NITV Radio. I'm Kerry Lee Harding and we'll be right back after this. Anthe Catherine Dot Farawell is a proud Kanju and very, very woman, artist, mother and grandmother. The artworks presented in the Love Endures All Obstacles exhibition are an exploration of her family's history and the darker side of Australia's past. Viewers will bear witness to Catherine's family's first-hand experience surviving a number of harrowing and traumatic events. That includes the stolen generation and Aboriginal protection and restriction of the sale of opium acts. These experiences cut through Aboriginal communities, destroying lives while scaring people and the land to this day. However, the exhibitions are also show that there is hope, thanks to her people's strength and bravery amidst these crimes. Love endured for generations to come. And Anthikati Dot Farwell is joining us now on NITV Radio. Hello and welcome. Yeah, hello, Shaka. Yeah, thank you. Anthikati, can I please ask you to tell us more about this exhibition? What can we expect? The exhibition at the moment is at the Rock Sydney Discovery Museum. That um, most of all, and most what I've got to do firstly is to pay acknowledgement and respect to the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation on the land on who, who, where we live and where we breathe and where we dream and 
and to take care of one another, but also pay respect to them and what they've been through. And um, the exhibition, Love Endures All Obstacles, um, is a painting that I did back in 2009 that got into the Dobell for drawing. And um, the, the why I painted the painting was to um, show people what mum and dad and all the old people went through under those Aboriginal Protection Acts up in Queensland and um, their endurance, but they came with, through with love. My grandmother um, is a kanji woman from Colin Cape, York, and she, my mother was born in Cooktown, and my auntie Ellen was born on Palm Island. And my father is from the uh, Biri and Wiri people from uh, Collinsville, Nebo. He was born 1907 on the Bowen River, and uh, they were very strong and loving uh, people. And they endured so much under this horrid act um, that the Queensland, the Aboriginal Protection Acts. And um, the paintings um, and the artwork are about from 2004 to 2019. But it, it's very emotional because um, I'm looking at photographs of the gospel singers and my mother and father um, on Palm Island and my grandmother, and they were our, you know, strong people. And um, and to write about the painting and do the expression in paint is um, very emotional. And now to write up the description of the paintings, you go through that emotion again, you know. And um, the other thing is um, when I had, we had to tidy them up. The paintings were, you know, hanging in our home um, in Glebe. And um, mum and dad and granny and all, and when we went out, they'd always make sure we were dressed up well and everything. And that was emotional again, looking at the images closer again. And then I had to deliver them into a, a place where invasion took place in the, the buildings down there, you know, like what's down there at rocks. And, yeah, it's a lot, but... There's been a team of people that are great, the Aboriginal staff there, they're, they're amazing and good people that make change, you know. Yeah, it's a lot. And, 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 and you go through those paintings, coming back to the paintings, they're dated and they're numbered as to and, and what we're saying. It's about good people, fantastic, belonging people. Mm-hmm. Usually you paint large scale paintings, but this time it seems a bit it's a bit more intimate, like bringing your your own family's history maybe on like smaller paintings, not on murals. Yeah, there's there's smaller ones too. Yeah, um, and there's larger ones. And one of the larger ones is about mining, and it's about um, land yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And the land yesterday was all intact and it's a blue sea and the waters and everything, everything was intact and there's a spirit glitter in the, um, in the artwork. Like, you know, glitter that I, I love using glitter, but that's, that represents the, um, spirit. And then I have my grandmother, um, locked down in miner's mesh and they're drilling through her womb and have through her, um, breasts, you know. And the, 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 what I'm saying is that's mining, drilling through Mother Earth, you know, and um, 
my grandmother, I have my grandmother there and she's protecting her two grandchildren and she's got that spirit glow glitter in her eyes with the grandchildren. They're looking back to when everything was intact, but they're still there. They're holding firm and she'll always be there for us. It's the attack by the, the mining industry and they, they don't care, you know. And then you have purple flowers that represent the stolen generations and the and the, the, the beauty of the flowers for the hope for tomorrow to be a better land and better country, better people, you know. Hmm, that sounds beautiful. That's, that's one of the larger ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the gospel singers, my auntie's singing at the front, um, on Palm Island, those protection acts with the children, they used to sing um, for the visitors who would come out there to the island uh, at an early day detention centre, you know, an Aboriginal settlement that where they had no they had no freedom to move away from there. They had to have the government, you know, laws uh, that would release them. But um, the gospel singers and the children singing, I love that one, that was taking that was I painted that from a photograph that my cousin gave to me but um it um that's really important because of the children singing you know and um my auntie's in there that's one of the smaller ones you know mm-hmm. and the exhibition is already open so what were reactions or the first reactions to 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 this exhibition to these artworks from the from the visitors yeah they're looking and the, and the interesting thing is that they're a lot of overseas travellers now coming back, you know, tourists that, uh, you know, with COVID gone, not gone, but still lingering and seeing tourists and seeing people. But the people are a lot of um, tourists. They're learning, you know, from the artwork and what I'm talking about, you know, messaging through art. And then there's um, some older Australians sitting down there learning about our Aboriginal culture in this, um, you know, the Rocks Discovery Museum, you know, and... Who would have thought back in the time, you know, years ago that this would be the case? There's a lot more learning. There's no excuse now not to learn. But it's interesting, their reactions, and they're, they're appreciated. Mm. And it's nice to meet good people, you know. Because mm. it's very personal what I'm putting up there. But also mum and dad were also, um, they'd make change. They were brave, you know, and, they, and loved, they endured a lot with their love. But they also brought us through as children and to do the right thing in life, but also to be strong Aboriginal men and women. Mm. And yeah, you're saying, you're talking about being brave and making change, which is actually the theme of this year's Reconciliation Week and the exhibition is part of that week. So what does this motto or this theme mean personally to you? It means a lot because I know that... um, The old people are, are, have been brave and they continue to be and they work with us, even though they might be gone, but they're there with us every day because that's the reason why we're here, to give messaging. But the um, it's about these this government and these times and people, we need to have that referendum. We need to make change within the government and to, for us to be properly recognised as people in our own land. And we need that written in the in the constitution. They have the Uluru statement from the heart. Um, Clinton Pryor walked all the way from Perth, five thousand eight hundred kilometres, on his feet with his team. To uh, he went to the Uluru statement. The Uluru statement was being done, and then he walked to Sydney, and then he walked down the Canberra. And the then Prime Minister only gave him 20 minutes to talk to, 
And if you don't treat your First Nations people right, you don't treat nobody right. But we have to have that voice within our constitution. We have It's not just got to be, oh, we'll do this, we'll do that. It takes guts and it takes heart and it's got to be it's got to be done. That's all there is to it. Mm. And I, you know, we're supposed to be educated people in this land. But I mean, the the system hasn't um, taught Aboriginal education properly, you know, for a long time, and they've covered up things that have happened in this country, you know. So hopefully, this government will show the guts and that it, um, and the people too. We've got to stand together with our hearts to be brave and we've got to make change. Otherwise, it doesn't mean nothing. It's all just politics and money and not doing the right thing by people, you know? Mm, for sure. And uh, before we wrap up this interview today, what are your next plans? What's up for for you? Oh, if we can. Um, <laughs> so it's a lot of things that women are always doing a lot of work. It's a lot of things, but it's about family and about culture and about dreaming. And I know we belong and we always, and it always will be Aboriginal land, you know? Messi we're messengers, you know, in, in our painting. Hmm, that's beautiful. That was artist Cathy Dot Farwell joining us on NITV Radio. Thank you so much, Cathy. And thank you too. Thank you for talking to me and about most of all the old people and their fight in this country, okay? Thank you. Thank you, Shaka. Too deadly, that story featuring the very lovely Auntie Kathy talking there with our very own Shaka Pekova. And the exhibition Love Endures All Obstacles is open until Friday, June the 24th in the Rocks in Sydney. This is NITV Radio you're listening to. I'm Kerry Lee Harding. And coming up very soon, we yarn about Indigenous employment. You're tuned in to NITV Radio and I'm Kerry Lee Harding. Now to our next story, all about Indigenous employment. And the employment gap between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians is closing at such a slow pace that it would take 200 years for parity to be achieved. A new index has taken a closer look at Indigenous employment levels in 42 large Australian organisations, including ASX-listed companies, non-for-profits and government departments. It found levels of Indigenous representation at senior leadership levels was just at 0.7%. Racism, staff retention issues and a failure to regularly report on voluntary Indigenous employment targets were identified as some factors behind the result. Biwa Khan reports for SBS News. Getting an insight on how Australia is tracking on Indigenous employment, particularly during the pandemic, has been challenging. We really realise the lack of data that exists around Indigenous employment during the COVID pandemic. We wanted to know what was happening to Indigenous employees across the country and it didn't take us very long at all to realise there simply was no data for us to understand the impact. When we know how many Indigenous Australians are incarcerated on any given night, but we don't know how many are in work in a given year, I think that's a gap that we seriously need to close. Noongar woman Shelley Cable has been spearheading the project to establish Australia's first Indigenous Employment Index to track the progress every two years. She says the findings have been revealing. Our research found that Indigenous Australians are hitting some kind of ceiling um, at entry level and middle management 
positions. So we found that employers have an average 2.2% Indigenous employment rate across their workforce, but only 0.7 representation in their senior management. It didn't really surprise me to find that Indigenous Australians were so poorly represented at those leadership levels. Um, it's certainly what we see quite consistently, but I think it's more disappointing because employers are really missing out on the value that Indigenous leadership and values and culture can bring uh, to all of our boardrooms and organisations. The work was commissioned through the Mindaroo Foundation's Generation One initiative, established by mining billionaire Andrew Forrest and his wife Nicola. Indigenous consultancy group Marawin and the Bankwest Curtin Economic Centre helped to compile the index, which charts the progress of voluntary targets and policies on Indigenous employment set by 42 of Australia's largest employers, including Woolworths, ANZ Bank, Lend-Lease, Atlassian, Australia Post and Domino's Pizza. Together, the participating organisations employ 17,412 Indigenous Australians, among more than 700,000 Australians, which represents 5% of the national workforce. Three quarters of the organisations had measures in place like voluntary Indigenous employment targets, but only two thirds were regularly reporting progress on meeting those goals. Many of the groups also had Indigenous recruitment strategies, but retention and promotion pathways were lacking. <clears throat> Nyungai man Warren Mundine says as a business owner himself who employs First Nations people, he's found the findings make for sobering reading. The thing that stood out to me the most was that uh, the genuineness, but that disconnect about how do you actually make it successful. There are things that, uh, you know, they could continue on doing, uh, you know, like cadet ships and so on like that, but it's not just about those type of things. you actually got to commit yourself and have the whole organisation committed to to make this a successful program and also listening to the voices of uh, people who are coming in and and, and working uh, within your business because they, they, they're the people at the coal front. They're the people who could tell you what is happening, what is good and what is not so good. Indigenous Employment Partners, headquartered in Melbourne, is an Aboriginal-owned and operated social enterprise helping First Nations people to find employment. It does this through a 26-week mentoring and support program with organisations across all sectors around Australia. The program's completion rate is 90%, resulting in the placements of about 200 First Nations people each year. The demand for the group services during the pandemic actually saw them scale up by 300%. CEO and Camilla Roy woman Sarah Stewart says the support network is a key part of the success. We do put that down to um, our mentoring program that is done in a three-pronged approach, which is in their home, in their community and in their workplace. So we're there for all three parties to support that employment along the way. So from the employer's perspective, we're there to help them learn and become culturally safe. From the uh, employee's perspective, we're helping them to understand how, how to have that ability to walk into worlds and what their requirements are um, from a, a corporate aspect, but also to not lose sight of their culture. Um, but also in the community aspect that if we are placing somebody into that organisation where they may need to be taking um, their aunts, their uncles, other elders to appointments because they might have the only car of that family, that we're not leaving that family stranded.
She says while there is plenty of goodwill among CEOs, a number have told her they worry about getting things wrong. And she says what is needed is a willingness from business leaders to ask for help, as well as engaging with mentoring emerging leaders from diverse backgrounds. When we become CEOs and heads of HRs and diversity and learning, we're just expected that we know all of these things and, and, and we don't and that's okay. But, you know, be brave, put your hand up and say, hey, I want to do this, but I need help. Um, whilst ever we just open up all of these entry-level roles or, or middle roles, but they're capped and you're recruiting in the same ways that you need to look at a resume and match it with every single expertise on there, you're missing the point of life skills and you're missing the point of community connections and you're missing the point of all of the other exceptional skills that that person and diversity that that person is going to bring. Miss Cable says also affecting progress in the index results was the rate of racism reported. More than 50% of Indigenous interviewees reported direct or indirect racism currently and throughout their careers. It's not surprising to me to see that when racism is present in Australian society that that's often reflected uh, in workplaces as well. Uh, I don't think that any workplace or employer is immune from racism in the workplace. What we're asking employers to do is to take racism seriously, treat it as a safety issue for all of their staff and take steps to eliminate it. Australian Bureau of Statistics data from 2018 shows less than half of working age Indigenous Australians are employed, compared to three quarters of non-Indigenous Australians. At the current rate of progress, it will take 200 years to close the gap. Ms Cable says much more work needs to be done to ensure the proportion of Indigenous Australians in the population of 3.3% is also reflected in the country's workforce. What we've modelled is that by 2040, which is what we're classing as our generation, we will need another 300,000 Indigenous Australians in work. So over the next 18 years, we need another 300,000 mob in work if we want to close the gap in one generation. Oh, I know it can happen. I've seen it with my own family. Uh, I think it just takes a lot of effort and a lot of converting the goodwill into action that really drives the change. But I'm absolutely confident that with the right people and organisations on board, it'll happen. Biwa Kwan, SBS News. Visit sbs.com.au slash NITV radio. That's right. You've been listening to NITV Radio and I'm Kerry Lee Harding. Thanks for your company on today's program today, Monday, the 6th of June, 2022. And you can find more stories at our webpage at www.sbs.com.au forward slash NITV Radio or join us on Facebook and also tune in on Wednesday at 1pm. I'll see you then. Want to hear more stories like this? Listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from.